0: Welcome morning. Welcome to Embrace. We are so glad to have you this morning. If you are new with us, consider this your welcome if you're visiting. Uh, we'll try to get around and say hello to you, but welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Tanya Torp, and I am one of the associate pastors here. So glad that you're with us. Just before we hand it over to the worship team, I want to just uh, remind you all that we do have announcements that are already typed up for you. So if you're not already receiving an email from us and you would like to, let us know, but the announcements come in an email. We also have an uh, a Embrace Community page online that always talks about our announcements, so we'd be glad for you to head there. Um, But we do want to get to know you as well, so there are also these little cards in your pew in front of you. If you would fill them out if you're new, just so we can get to know you, or if you also have a prayer request, this morning our amazing, if I must say so myself, prayer team, the Embrace prayer team met this morning to pray over each and every one of you, to pray over our church and some individual prayer requests that we had, and it was a beautiful time. We keep your prayers confidential. So if you have a prayer request, there's space for that on the back of this, and you can... Just let us know, and we will be praying for you. Uh, Also, if you have a prayer request, you can just email us at um, prayer at uh, So without further ado, I want to hand it over to the worship team that they can lead us into worship this morning. Thank you.
1: If y'all would stand and join me in a call to worship. Oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever.
2: Of a God and King,
0: lift up your
2: voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, and Hallelujah! Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, and oh. No praising, no praising, and oh, praise and not and strong ye clouds that sail
1: that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us in freedom confess the wrongs we have done. Merciful God, we confess confess that we have not not loved you with our whole heart. We We have have failed failed to be an obedient church. church. We have not done your will. We have not done your will. We have broken broken your law. law. We We have rebelled against your love. love have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy forgive us we pray free us for joyful obedience through jesus christ our lord amen, amen.
2: Well, we're going to turn it over to our gratitude and lament time now so feel free to turn to a neighbor share something about your life if you're comfortable um, it can be something a, a praise you have for the week It could be something that is just not sitting right with you this week, something that you see that's wrong with the world. But uh, share something with a neighbor. This is a great way for us to grow as a church and and with one another. And uh, we'll uh, turn it back over to some worship here in a few minutes. That the thing that's in the news is a our... I invite you to sing with us. Let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord has for us this morning. Open the eyes of my heart. Stand with us. Power and love as we sing, Holy, holy, holy. holy, To see you high lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, Holy, holy. of power and love as we sing Holy, holy To see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hosanna. Hosanna. You are the God Saves us Worthy of all God who saves us worthy of all
3: the time that we get to dismiss our kids and their leaders to the Wonder Room, let's give them a hand. The Wonder Room is for all students four years old through fifth grade. If your child has not been up to the Wonder Room before, please walk them up this morning so you can fill out the proper paperwork. You'll be able to come back down really quickly. Um, But they will be having a great time of learning up there together and you can pick them up after the service. Hope you guys have a great time this morning. As we let them go ahead and head out, I have an exciting announcement to share with you all this morning, and that is that it is time for a new round of small groups and community groups here at Embrace. So if you are new to our community or if you have been here a while and you're deciding that you really need some more connection and you really need some more community, these are two great really, or two really great opportunities. So they're different. I want to explain to you what the difference is. Our small groups are in a very intentional, um, very small group. They're lovingly referred to as tiny groups by some. They are three to five people of the same gender. Um, And if you know anything about Wesleyan theology, they're modeled after Wesley band groups, largely. And so they're a place for accountability and prayer and learning together. But these groups are intended to be high commitment. And so we believe as we follow Jesus, we are in the midst of a culture that is very low commitment, that says do what feels right at the time it does, check out if you're done. And Jesus calls us to something higher. Jesus calls us to a very costly way of life. And we believe in our training to follow after him and our growing as disciples, it's really helpful to have support. So these small groups are designed to be intentional, intimate communities that give you that support on your journey of discipleship. And the commitment is to meet together for a minimum of 12 months. Some groups meet for 12, some groups meet for 24. We've got one group that I think is in its fifth year at the moment Yep, that's you over there. Um, And so there's all sorts of possibility with these groups, but at least 12 months, and then you kind of reassess your life from there. And the meetings are either weekly or biweekly to support one another and journey together um, following Jesus. So those are our small groups. If you're interested in that kind of a model, come talk to me after the service. I will have a sign-up sheet. If you want to ask more about that kind of model because it sounds weird or you've not done it before, come talk to me about that too. Our community group option is the other end of the spectrum, it is lower commitment, not because we think, you know, that you don't have it in you to be higher commitment, but because sometimes it's really great to have a space where you can just connect as your life gives you space. So these groups are designed to be co-ed, and they gather just once a month for some sort of fellowship-oriented gathering. So if you are needing a place to just meet other folks from Embrace, if you are wanting to just kind of build some relationship and see where it goes from there, community groups might be a great fit for you. And so this is something new that we've been trying since the pandemic. Um, And Logan Trent, Logan and his wife, Lindsay, Logan, say, hey, thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Logan and Lindsay are starting a new community group this fall, and so there's some opportunity to participate there, but Logan is also willing to help somebody else who might have a desire to host one of these groups get started. And we would love to see multiple little community groups form um, where people can get plugged in and just be family to one another um, from this Embrace community. So if you are interested in small groups, please come talk to me. If you are interested in community groups, please go talk to Logan. We'll both hang around at the back after the service. And again, if you have any questions questions or if this sounds scary and you just want to talk it out, I am here for that. But I would love to have each and every one of you feel like you have a place that you belong here, and these groups are one of the best ways to um, kind of achieve that, to really find a place where you can connect and grow and become more of the disciple that we all are longing to be. So without further ado, I think we're going to move into our prayer time, Um, and so this altar is open. I believe John is probably going to stay up here to pray, and anybody else who would like to come up is welcome as well.
4: Thank you. Yeah, if anyone would like to kneel at the altar and pray for our prayer time, you're invited to do that. We'll just take a moment just to settle our our bodies and our minds, our spirits. We just want to take a few deep breaths. God, we affirm this morning that you are here, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to become more aware of your presence that is moving throughout this space and moving throughout our world, even living within us. I pray we would have eyes to see you, ears to hear you. We will be able to perceive and see the good work that you are doing among us. Lord, we just praise your name today. We are so grateful for all the goodness that you pour out on us each and every day. We are grateful that that, Lord, you have a plan, and we are trusting and, and trying to trust in that plan and trust that you are working and moving and that you will redeem this world. We're grateful that you walk with us through the ups and downs of life. We're grateful that you are with us on the mountain type and that you are there with us in the deepest valley. And God, all of us are, are coming this morning with different experiences and Some of us maybe feel like we're on a mountaintop, and some feel like we're in a dark hole. And God, we just thank you that you are with us through all of it. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would be more aware of your comforting, sustaining, and life-giving presence that is with us through it all. Lord, we are grateful for the warm weather that we've had. We are grateful for the sunshine. We're grateful for the new life we see starting to rise up around us in our communities, out in the wilderness, for the flowers, for the birds, for all the ways that we are just reminded that you are moving and working, that even when it seems like everything is dead, new life is rising up. We're grateful for the baptisms that have been happening in our church and for the ones that we will have coming in the future and and for the sign of new life that that is to us as well. We're grateful for new friendships that have been formed. We're grateful for the the large group of people we had together this morning studying uh, theology and talking about you, Lord, and really trying to dig into what the gospel means. Thank you, Lord, for that just wonderful class we had this morning. We're grateful for our families and for our friends and for our connections and for the doors that have opened this week that we didn't think could open. We're grateful for reconciled relationships and for healing. We're grateful that sometimes we do see fruit from our hard labor. And yet we also come this morning with lots of lament. And lots of heartache and suffering, Lord, many of us are dealing with grief and loss and and it just never goes away and it just stays with us and sometimes feels like a comfort and sometimes feels just really, really hard. I pray for those of us dealing with grief. I know many of us also in this room have loved ones that are sick or just really bad shape, and, and, and we wonder how long we'll be able to spend with them. And God, I just pray you would comfort those who are dealing with sickness uh, themselves or with family members and who are having to have thoughts of death and, and loss, and I pray you would meet them in those moments of pain and anxiety and fear, that you would be their friend. Lord, I pray this week that, that we could just rest and stand on that solid foundation, which is you, Jesus Christ. As we were challenged to do last week, I pray that we would build our lives upon you, and that you and your teachings and your example and your relationship to us would be the foundation that we stand on so that we will not get pushed too far down because we know we have a solid foundation of you. Help us, Lord, to press into you this morning and experience your goodness and your grace. Lord, we need you so much. Now we can join together and pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brother Benjamin just wanted me to let you all know that he just lost his uh, 13-year-old cousin, and so he wanted to come in and make sure we prayed for him, and so I'm just going to say a prayer for Benjamin this morning. If y'all could pray in your spirits as well. Lord, I pray for our brother, um, Benjamin, and he's experienced so much loss recently, um, and he's experienced a lot of pain and grief over losing friends and loved ones, and, and I just... We hate that, Lord. We we lament. We, it makes, God, it just makes me so angry, just the pain and the hurt and the hardship that people are going through and the suffering that we are experiencing here in this world. And God, I just pray over Benjamin this morning that you would give him comfort in this time of grief, this time of shock and just feeling overwhelmed by the weight of losing such a young person in his life. And we pray for this 13-year-old's family and just all the people who are grieving this loss now, and we pray that you would be close to them, that you would make your face abundantly clear to them, and they could see you there weeping with them. They could see you there with them in their comfort and in their sorrow, that they would know they're not alone. Meet them in this moment, Lord. And meet all of us, Lord, because I know that many of us here are facing similar hardships and and are dealing with loss and, and, and suffering and tragedy and brokenness. And separation, anxieties and fears, and God, I just pray that an overwhelming sense of peace would consume us this morning. And we know that the suffering's not just going to go away. We know that this is part of life, but Lord, we pray that you would be with us in the suffering, and I do pray that you would ease some of the suffering for us, Lord. That we could experience some light moments, and we would be able to to just feel God, your your powerful and loving hand rested upon us today. Lord, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's good to be together. Um, I've already heard from a few people that uh, some folks are going through hard times um, right now. And I've had a particularly hard week myself this week, and the week before was also hard. And, and so uh, it, this life is not easy, you know. And, and I just think one reason, like, we get together every week for church. I know a lot of people are kind of down on church right now and don't think it's very important and think church has done more harm than good, and I understand all of the reasons um, it makes churches often been a, a hard and difficult and harmful place, um, but I do think what we're trying to do here at Embrace is good, and, and I think us getting together every week and being reminded that, that God is here, God is among us, and also that we're not alone, that we have each other, and my hope is that true community is being formed here in our church, and, and these small groups that Christina mentioned, this is a way to, to continue to find that community and that support that we need, because we need each other. It's so it's it's impossible to, to live this life with any measure of joy <laughs> without having other people in our lives, and so we need one another, and so I encourage you all to really consider um, connecting in some way. Uh, I talked to someone this morning who came to our class and shared that one reason she's there, it's just to connect with new people and be able to meet some folks and, and make some friends, and so there's, there's opportunities out there, so I encourage you all, um, because we truly do need, need each other for this journey that we're on. Um, this, this morning, we're going to start something new um, for the next few weeks. As you maybe have noticed, we have new colors in here this week. Uh, we had green, and now it's purple, um, and so purple uh, means that we are beginning a new season in the church calendar, and we're moving into the season of Lent. And Lent is that kind of 40-day period leading up to Easter. And so it's a very holy time. It's one of the most holy times in the Christian uh, church. You know, all, all times are holy, uh, but this is a particular moment where we really do press in even more um, into our relationship with God and really try to look at our lives and, and ask ourselves, like, what is going well? What is not going well? Like, in what ways am I feeling connected to God and in what ways am I feeling not connected to God. It's a time also to look at our churches and our communities and really repent over the ways that we failed and fallen short and trust in God's forgiveness and God's unfailing love. We had an Ash Wednesday service uh, this past week and that's really the beginning of the season of Lent and it was a really beautiful and meaningful time to share together uh, here in our sanctuary. And so we're beginning this new season um, moving towards Easter. And so as we move through this season, we're going to be doing something uh, that I'm really excited about, and I'm going to share with you um, here in just a moment. First, I, I want to ask you a question. I'm, I'm sure many of you have, but how many of you all have ever read a biography before of a person's life? Anybody? Now, Rick didn't raise his hand, I noticed. Now, now, Rick, here's my question. Have you ever seen a movie, maybe, that's a biography about somebody's life? There you go. There you go. Laban's hand went up, too. That's good. Um, I'm just, Rick is very public in his disdain for reading, so um, I'm not like revealing his inner secrets or anything here. But um, a biography basically is an account of a person's life. And the author, often who writes a biography, will kind of begin at birth and kind of tell every major life event in a person's life until they die. And often they have a particular way they want to tell the story, but often it covers the scope of a person's life. For that reason, I have a hard time finishing biographies because they're often pretty long. And I'll get it at the, the birth of a person, then I'm like maybe getting through the childhood, teenage years, and then I just give up because I'm like I'm never going to make it all the way to the end because it's just hard to stick with it because they're often long. Um, when I was in college, I, I, one of the classes at our school we all had to take was a, school on the Bi- or a class on the Bible. And it was kind of an overview of what the Bible is, and it was a really, really good course. I'm an awesome uh, teacher, and, and one of the things we did is I remember that we studied the Gospels, and so we looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't know much about the Bible, the Gospels are the first books in the New Testament, so it's the, Bible, the bulk of the Bible is the Old Testament, or some call the Hebrew Bible. It's a lot of books, and, and then you get to the New Testament, and that really begins uh, with Jesus and his life and his story, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the accounts of Jesus' life. And are each written by different authors with a different perspective, uh, which is really neat. So I remember our professor telling us at the beginning of the class that day on the Gospels, he said, I want you all to know that the Gospels are not biographies. Like, they are not biographies. They are not meant to tell the whole story of Jesus' life. These authors were very intentional about the stories that they chose, the parts of Jesus' life they shared, because they had a bigger purpose than just telling the story of his life. They really wanted to communicate the good news of the gospel. And and when you look at the the gospels and you see what they told about Jesus' life and you see what they left out, this is abundantly clear that this is no biography because they leave out the majority of Jesus' life. Only two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, actually tell us about Jesus' birth. Mark and John don't even mention Jesus' birth, and they skip over all of it right to adulthood. Luke is the only Gospel that shares anything about Jesus kind of as, as a young boy. And you may know the story when he's in the temple and And his family starts going back to their hometown and he stays there to like hang out with the religious leaders and talk about the scriptures and everything. And they were amazed um, at his intellect and what he was able to discern. But only one story about the childhood Jesus. I wish we had more of those. That would be really cool, right? But we don't. Um, The Gospels don't tell us anything actually about Jesus as a teenager or or Jesus even as a 20-something. You know, we, we just bypass All of those years. And all four gospel writers spend almost the entire book, all four books, talking about this roughly three-year span of Jesus' life. And people guess that it's roughly maybe age 30 or so to age 33. And here's the really fascinating part. Of those three years, the gospel writers chose to spend a disproportionate amount of time focusing just on the last week of Jesus' life. Eight days, Sunday through Sunday. So Jesus lived about 33 years, and for some reason, the four men who wrote the Gospels decided to spend a lot of their time talking about the stories from the final week of Jesus' life. There are 89 chapters total in all four Gospels, you add them all up, and 29 of those chapters are focused just on the final week of his life. That's one-third of the Gospels are just on one week out of all 33 years of his life. That final week must have been pretty important, right? It was important for them, and they spent a lot of time talking about it and describing all of those events. Now, in the Christian faith, we call that week in particular, Holy Week. Y'all have probably heard this term before, and Holy Week begins on Palm Sunday and it ends on Easter Sunday. And in between those two Sundays, there's some popular kind of Christian holidays. Maundy Thursday is, is a pretty popular holiday. Good Friday, most of us know what Good Friday is. We have Holy Saturday. Holy Week is the most important week in the Christian calendar for Christians, really, all across the globe. This year, Fayette County's spring break is actually during. Holy Week, and often my wife and I would take off during spring break and go do something fun. But if, you know, pastors don't get to take off Holy Week, so we're doing it another week, right? Because it's that important, right? And I'm like, why can they not schedule this differently, you know? But it's okay, because, you know, Holy Week is a big deal. And so my question is, why is this week so important? You know, Jesus lived 33 years, so why did the Gospel writers spend so much time talking about his final week of his life? Why do we honor and celebrate and remember and reflect on that week um, every single year in our Christian calendar? Well, I think a a simple answer could be that, you know, it ends with Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection, which are fundamental, right? They're foundational to our faith. The death and resurrection are foundational to our understanding of God, of ourselves, of our world. We affirm every week when we take communion that Jesus died, that he rose, that he will come again. We believe his death and resurrection made such a significant difference in our lives and also in the world. However, Jesus didn't die until Friday of that week, and the gospel spent a lot of time talking about what happened on Sunday through Thursday, those days leading up to his death. And what was so important about those days, right? What happened on Sunday and Monday? What about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? You know, we know on Good Friday that Jesus died, but we often don't talk much about what happened that led up to his death and all the things he went through. What happened the day after he died on Saturday, right? We don't often look at that day very closely. We know about Easter on Easter Sunday, but how is Easter Sunday and all that happened there connected to the days that came before so during Lent, we're going to kind of take our cue from the gospel writers and we're going to spend a disproportionate amount of time this year on Jesus' final week. And so for the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're only going to look at this final week of Jesus' life. You know, um, and, and we're going to ask questions about it. What was going on during, in Jerusalem during that week? Like, what was it about Jesus and what he did that led to his arrest And his eventual execution at the hands of the state. Why was there so much conflict and drama happening there in Jerusalem that week? Why were the disciples so scared? Why did the religious leaders, why did some of them want want Jesus to be dealt with in such a violent way? Why, Why did Jesus threaten the Roman Empire so much? Just this one man. You know, Christians believe that Jesus is the most important person in all of history. And, and I think a lot of non-Christians would probably make that argument as well, that Jesus is maybe the most influential person ever to live. And so his final week is perhaps the most important week of his life, and so it makes sense to me that we spend some time focusing on that particular week. So here's how we're going to break it down, just so you know where we're going, and I'll hopefully be able to get you the scriptures ahead of time so you can be reading what we're going to be talking about um, on a Sunday. But We're going to kind of look at it this way. So this week we're doing Sunday, and then each week we're going to look at a particular day um, during that week. And we'll do the same thing on Monday nights as well. And so, unfortunately, I don't have enough Sundays to Easter to do all the days. So we're going to combine Friday and Saturday uh, on the 2nd. So I hope you all will be okay with that. But, yes. Well, you know, Dan... And it also says that we're going to be doing something on March 2nd after March 26th, which we're not going to be doing any time travel here. On my paper, it's correct, actually. And of course, Dan, you've got to point this out in front of everybody. I mean, everybody's thinking it. We will be moving into April after March. That's what happens. Okay, that's how the world works. I'm sure everybody assumed that, Dan. Thank you for for pointing it out in front of the whole church. I just love it. (laughs) Dan's job is just to, you know, give me a hard time here at church, so it's great. It's all love. It's all love. So this morning, uh, we're actually going to spend some time looking at Palm Sunday, which I I text uh, Dustin this week, and I was like, it's going to be a little strange talking about Palm Sunday at the very beginning of Lent because we always do that towards the end. But the way we're breaking it down, we're going to begin in Palm Sunday because that is the beginning kind of of this journey that Jesus took in Jerusalem towards the cross. And so I want to give some context about what was going on in Jerusalem during that time. um, And and I think it will help you understand a bit about why things were so volatile and why things ended up for Jesus the way they did. And so Jesus in the Gospels is described in the Gospel of Luke, if you remember from last year, Really hones in on this journey that Jesus was on toward Jerusalem. And so there's a point in the Gospel of Luke where it says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and then he began his journey towards the city to wait his fate or to uh, go towards his fate that awaited him there. And really all the gospels are describing this kind of path that Jesus was taking toward Jerusalem. And and during Holy Week, Jesus finally makes it to Jerusalem right at the beginning. And so before reading our story for this morning, I just want to say a few things first. First, Jesus' actions in this story are very deliberate. They are purposeful. He entered Jerusalem in a particular way for a particular reason. He didn't just happen to come into the city the way he did. He gives detailed instructions to his disciples on how to execute a plan of action, a plan of entry into Jerusalem. Jesus had traveled this long journey to get there and he was there it was the moment that the gospels had been building. He had finally arrived. And Jesus is very intentional and very deliberate in the way he enters the city. He could have entered quietly, which would have been the safest option for him, but instead he entered in a very public and politically charged way. All right, and I want y'all to understand that as we get into this. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to read it off the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So in our text for today... The setting of the story matters just as much as the text itself. When and where all this stuff happens really matters. Now, in order to understand the meaning of Jesus' actions and what he's doing here as he enters into Jerusalem on this cult and people are chanting, blessed is his coming kingdom, we need to understand a little bit about what was going on in Jerusalem during that particular week. Jesus entered Jerusalem during the Passover week. Now, during this time, pilgrims from all over Palestine would be traveling into Jerusalem on pilgrimage because that's what they did during this really important festival. The population of Jerusalem would increase dramatically during that particular week, and so there would be Jewish people all over the city. It would be very crowded, lots of energy, lots of excitement. It was actually also a very volatile week in Jerusalem. There was a lot of stress, there was a lot of unease, there was even some violence that could have likely erupted during that week. So why would it be so volatile in Jerusalem? Well, do y'all know what the Passover actually celebrates and what it remembers? Passover is a celebration of the Israelites being set free from slavery in Egypt. It is a time to remember and honor that decisive moment from their history When God acted on behalf of the oppressed Israelites and set them free. And so it recalls memories for them of all the exodus experience of leaving Egypt, of the parting of the Red Sea, of their time in the wilderness, of the giving of the law and their eventual settlement in the promised land. And really, these are not just your average stories. These are like what you could call revolutionary stories. These are powerful stories. These are about being set free and liberated from a powerful and oppressive empire. These stories were so powerful that even in America, many, many years after all of this, slaveholders in America would cut these stories out of the enslaved people's Bibles because they did not want them reading stories about freedom and about being set free from slavery because they are powerful stories. The Jews living uh, under Roman occupation, and the Roman Empire would certainly resonate with the story of Exodus. Because, you know, they were living in an oppressive situation. If God had freed them back then, then perhaps God could free them now. So for, just like the slaveholders in America, the Roman Empire was not a fan of the Exodus story, and was probably not a fan of the celebration of Passover in Jerusalem. Like I said, the population of Jerusalem would increase dramatically during that week. Pilgrims traveled all over for the celebration. And so what would happen in Jerusalem is there would be stirrings of uprising and upheaval. There would be stirrings of revolution. There were different pockets of Jews who were fairly radical and some of them very violent who were trying to find out ways and seek out ways they could overthrow the Roman Empire and kick them out of their land. And so during Passover, these kinds of thoughts would be prevalent among the people. The Romans had great distrust of large gatherings of like-minded people. Empires of today, even our own country in America, has great distrust of gatherings of large, like, large groups of like-minded people, right? And so, for example, a few years after these events, the Emperor Trajan wrote this in a letter to Pliny the Younger. When people gather together for a common purpose, whatever name we may give them and whatever function we may assign them, they soon become political groups. So his argument here, the emperor, is that if they have enough time to organize and gather, they may soon turn against you. And so at all costs, they would probably try to limit people having those moments together to, to organize around a common purpose. During Passover, there would be a heightened level of security in Jerusalem. Armed forces would be stationed all throughout the city to show who was in charge and warn of violent consequences to any kind of upheaval. We've seen in our country over the last few years many protests and and uprisings even in America, and often in preparation, the the military and the police and others will show up and, and have tanks and armor and all these things to show who is in charge and who has the power, right? And so you can imagine the Roman Empire having military and people stationed all throughout the city. There were also likely informants who were monitoring the actions of many of the Jews on pilgrimage in Jerusalem during that particular holiday. This week concerned the Romans to such a degree that, that scholars have argued that the gover, Governor Pilate would have left his comfy home in Caesarea, which is by the sea in his comfy place and palace, to travel to Jerusalem that week so he could monitor for himself what was going on. And he could keep an eye on the Jews and be there in case something was going to happen. Many have argued that Pilate at this point, would come and enter the city from the west, riding on a chariot, being pulled by war horses. He would be surrounded by a parade of Roman soldiers and generals who would be there showcasing the power of their military might. There would be chants, likely, declaring the power and peace of Rome, hailing the emperor as lord and king. And so knowing this context helps me understand a bit better how radical Jesus' entry into Jerusalem truly was. Around the same time that Pilate was entering from the west, there was another march taking place from the east. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a colt, and he was surrounded not by generals And military men with strength and might, but by a marching crowd of ragtag country folk and poor people who were chanting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Now, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to to see how dangerous of a public action this would be. (laughs) Right? In Luke, we are told that some Pharisees were there. And it says that they told Jesus to rebuke his followers and silence them. And it makes sense why, because they were probably terrified that if Jesus kept acting this way, it was going to be very dangerous for him and his followers, but also for all the Jews in Jerusalem. Imagine, you've got this group of people coming from out in the countryside, and the people in the countryside were distrusted by the people in the city. That's where a lot of the stirrings of revolution were happening. They're all coming in, marching with this man, saying, blessed is his coming kingdom. That would be uh, a recipe for lots of hardship and violence in Jerusalem. Yet, Jesus did not listen to the Pharisees and did not rebuke His followers and he continued on. And I wonder maybe if Jesus needed people to see the contrast between his march and Pilate's march. They needed to see what true kingship and power really looked like. In this action, Jesus essentially publicly rebuked the ways of the empire, the methods of violence and control and domination. Jared McKenna argues that that Jesus was essentially mocking the Roman Empire by what he says riding in on on a trike instead of a tank, right? It's kind of an absurd image. But often the absurd can kind of provoke us into thinking differently or seeing things differently, right? We've talked about the prophetic witness, and in many ways the prophets would seek to provoke and push and challenge to help us see things differently differently that's what artists do for us today these public demonstrations like this can often jar people into seeing something and maybe maybe spurring them into a different way of living in this world they would be wondering who is this Jesus who are all these people with him what is he up to why is he riding on a colt why are all these poor country folks hanging out with this man what is going on do you know what the number one thing if you looked at all of what Jesus taught about? the number one thing Jesus taught about, do you know what it is? It is the kingdom of God. Beats out all the others. The second's money, actually, which is related. If Jesus had a campaign slogan, it would be, the kingdom of God has come near. If he was running for office, which I don't think Jesus ever would have, but if he was running for office, Jesus' slogan, the kingdom of heaven has come near, it is at hand, it is here among us, that's what Jesus stood for, that's what he is about, and that's what he came to show people. For Mark in particular, that we read from today, the kingdom of God, really, this, the kingdom of God coming near, that is the good news of Mark. That is what the gospel is. It's not some of the things that we've talked about and we've learned in church growing up about what the gospel is. For Mark, the gospel of Jesus was that the kingdom of God is near, it is among us, it is here right now now and Jesus called people to believe or to trust in that gospel trust that the kingdom of God had come near and then commit themselves to living as a part of that kingdom in the here and now you know another way to think of the kingdom of God is is it's really God's dream it is God's dream for our world and, and like we talked about in our class this morning, God's dream for the world is, is shalom. It is all-encompassing peace. It is wholeness. It is everybody having enough. It's everything working together in unity for the good of everyone and everything. That's what God's dream is. And this is ultimately what the kingdom of God is. What does God want for us? And Jesus was obsessed with God's dream. He he was obsessed with it, and he gave his life to it. He proclaimed God's dream over and over and over again with his words and the way he lived. And and he really came here to proclaim God's dream of peace and salvation and love, and, and that God really wanted everything to be whole and right and well and good. And Jesus was so committed to God's dream that he suffered greatly because so many people were opposed to God's dream the last moments of Jesus's life are often uh, called the passion of the Christ you've probably heard this before and for me I didn't fully understand that because when I've thought of passion I think of like dedication and commitment but passion the word also it, it can come from a Latin word which means suffering and so it's really talking about the suffering of Christ However, I think the way that I think of passion now is this intense desire, this commitment, this dedication is actually very much related to suffering. And they often go hand in hand because when you're truly dedicated to a cause or to a people or to something that is right and good and above yourself, then then you often experience suffering because there will be people who will stand against you. (laughs) Jesus was dedicated to God's dream. He wanted people so bad to experience God's kingdom and live in love and peace with one another. He was so committed and dedicated to the cause of God's dream that many people opposed him and ultimately chose to end his life. Jesus' passion for God's dream led to his passion on the cross. Jesus' final week began with a public rebuke of Caesar's dream, or we could call the Roman dream. Some of the leaders, religious and political, already had been plotting to take Jesus' life up to that point. And the way Jesus entered Jerusalem, and then the way we're going to talk about um, next week of how he entered the temple and turned over the tables, it sealed the deal for them. They're like, this guy has to go. Because what he has come proclaiming is in direct confrontation to what we stand for and the power and control and domination we want to exert over the people. And Jesus came proclaiming something very different. And that is why they had their desire to kill Jesus grew even stronger. There were two processions into Jerusalem on that day. One from the west with power and and spectacle and weapons and riches and And all the things that that we often think are kind of cool, you know, in, in our country today. And then there was another coming from the East with service and humility and solidarity, even poverty, but with great courage. And I think the question we have to reflect on is which procession are we in? Which dream is our dream? Which kingdom do we choose? And I think more often than we like to admit, we Christians are found in Pilate's procession. Not in Jesus's. You know, this is a little bit silly, but I think it points to something that is profoundly true about Christians, particularly in America. I remember a few years ago when Kanye West went public that he had become a Christian. And, and, And I remember very well that my whole social media timeline was full of Christians getting so excited that Kanye West had given his life to Jesus and was sharing it with the world. And, and I remember talking to my brother about this, and I'm like, man, what is going on? Why are people getting so excited about this one particular person becoming a Christian? And my brother was like, we were reflecting on it, and he kind of just said, you know, Christians love to be popular. They love to be liked and powerful. Christians can be so obsessed with celebrity and with fame and with attention. You know, today many Christians want our religion to be more prominent in society. And are upset that Christianity has lost its place of honor in America. They're upset about this. And, and missionary work, for instance, even can more resemble military conquest in the way that we hope and pray to take entire places for Jesus. And we have this mentality that we're going to move in and we're going to take over. And it's going to be all about Jesus now. Far too many Christians um, are vocal supporters of war, of death penalty of beating their political opponents by any means necessary. These things resemble, in my mind, more of a a procession that Pilate might take into the city than the one Jesus did. Even in our day-to-day lives, we are often in competition with others. We are often seeking to win and exert power over our spouses, over our children, our co-workers, our friends. We often use violent words and actions with one another. And I think we really need to dig deep and we need to ask ourselves, what is our dream? What is our vision? Which procession would we be in if we saw both of them, right? Which dream is our dream? Which kingdom do we choose? And do we really want to tap into that passion that Jesus had for God's dream? Because that's going to mean living in a very different way than, than, than we're often indoctrinated and told to live by just living in this world, you know, by all the messages, that are given to us constantly through media and through all the things to tell us that this is the right and good way to win. Jesus is saying, no, this is actually the way to peace. And one thing Jesus did before he went into Jerusalem in one of the other Gospels is he lamented over the city. And this is such a profound and heartbreaking story, but Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he said, if only that they had known, what would bring them peace? If only they had known. And I think Jesus is still weeping over our cities today. With the same thing, if only they had known what would bring them peace. It's not going to be through more control. It's not going to be through more guns. It's not going to be through more bombs. It's not going to be through more winning and competition and power. It's going to be through humble service and love and connection and caring for one another. And that's the vision that Jesus came proclaiming. And as we're going to see as we move forward through this week, um, the the last week of Jesus, that, that there's always going to be opposition to that kind of way of living we've got to stay strong and we've got to continue to build our lives upon that foundation of Jesus that Christina reminded us about last week. And so these are the types of questions we're going to wrestle with as we spend time in Jesus' final week over the next uh, few Sundays. And so I hope you're willing to go on this journey with me. We're going to share communion today. And communion is the... Uh, towards the end of that final week of Jesus. And, you know, I always say, you know, if you, you doubt, like, some of the things that I'm sharing about Jesus' kind of countercultural way of living in this world and how dedicated he was to peace and justice, and then you have to look no further than communion to, to see what Jesus really stood for. Jesus was willing to go all the way to his death in many ways, to expose the depravity and the sickness in our world and show that there actually is another way and there's a better way. And it was meant, in many ways, to jolt us and to jar us into seeing how far gone we have been, gotten and that we truly do need a Savior to set us free from these wrong ways of thinking and living here in this world. And Jesus showed us that it's through that self-sacrificial love, that service and, and giving to one another. Before Jesus was taken off to us, Um, Arrest and his crucifixion, he shared a meal with his disciples. And over and over and over in that meal, Jesus' recurring message was to love one another. He would tell them, Do not be afraid. I'm going to leave you. Things are going to get really bad. Don't be afraid. It's like, I'm going to be with you. My spirit's going to be there. And y'all need to just continue to do what I told you to do so many times before to love one another, to take care of one another, and to support one another. Because this life is not easy. And it's certainly not easy to stay committed to the way of the kingdom and the way of Jesus. And we're going to need one another. There's going to be lots of things to make us very afraid out there. I sometimes get overcome with fear and anxiety and stress. And I have to always come back to Jesus in these words. Do not be afraid. Remain in Jesus and love one another. That is Jesus' message to us. So as we share communion, I just want you all to really think about Jesus and, and, and the the dream that he had for our world. Really ask yourself, like, how, how have you been kind of partnering with Jesus to see that dream come to reality? And how have you also been working against Jesus um, to kind of thwart Jesus' work in this world through his spirit to see that dream come to reality? Because ultimately the gospel is not just about me and Jesus. It's about Jesus inviting me and inviting you all to partner with him to see this work redeemed and made whole. And uh, we saw where that took Jesus, right? We saw the hardship he faced through all of this. So it's not going to be easy, but what Jesus promised, that he's going to be with us, and that it will be good. So let's bow our heads just for a moment. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for being with us here this morning. I pray that kind of talk of history and, and looking back and, these events that happened like 2,000 years ago could, could speak to us today, Lord. We pray that that even though, Lord, you when you walked among us, you lived in a very different world than today, and there's so much distance between now and then that we could really have holy imagination and creativity to see how we can kind of take these ancient stories and Let them be alive and real to us now and influence the way that we live and work in our world today that is still dealing with all the same issues and hardships and struggles that that they were dealing with then. And Lord, we thank you so much for your passion. We thank you that you are passionate for us and you're passionate for, for love, that you're passionate for justice, that you're passionate for wholeness and peace. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to suffer. That you were willing to suffer for the sake of this world. And you were able to create a path towards redemption and change. And I pray, I just thank you, Lord, that you invited us to be a part of it. And I pray we would have the courage to continue to redirect and refocus and to join back up with the movement that you are that you are leading here in this world today through the power of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, over the next few weeks that we would enter into this story and we could walk with you, Lord, and journey with you on your final days here on earth. And we could see, Lord, clearly, abundantly clearly what the heart of the matter is and what you're calling us to do in the here and now. And ultimately, Lord, I pray we would also just Be able to rest a little bit, too, in your love, knowing that, God, you did all the things you did and suffered all the ways you suffered because you love the world that much. Because you love the world so much that you were willing to come and walk among us and even give up your life so that we all could find life to the fullest. And God, I'll never understand that. love. It's too great to even understand. It's a mystery to me. But I'm going to trust in it. And I pray you would help us all to trust in that love this morning. I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. If y'all want to go ahead and get out, a little cracker or whatever you have at home that you've set aside for this purpose, those online, feel free to go ahead and get that ready. But I encourage you to take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. I encourage you to take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to spend some time uh, just worshiping with our closing song. I encourage you all just to spend some time with God in your seats or come kneel at the altar if you'd like and really just ask, maybe ask God maybe something that stuck out to you that we were shared or experienced this morning together and and just wrestle with God on that for a little bit and offer that up to God. And if you'd like to talk to me or somebody else about something going on in your spirit this morning, I'd be happy to do that. If you'd like prayer, I'd love to lift you up in prayer. I'll be here at the altar. and We'll have a member of the prayer team, a couple of members uh, of the prayer team. Uh, Lisa and Caroline are back there, and they'd be happy to lift you up in prayer in the back of the room if you'd like to go back there. But let's just spend some time connecting with God.
2: In the morning, Give me Jesus and you can have all this world Give give me jesus
4: I'll stand together for the benediction. I'll remind you before you leave, if you're interested in small groups or community groups, then you can talk to Christina about that, um, or you can talk to Logan. Um, I think he's here this morning somewhere. If not, you can talk to him another time. Um, but uh, reach out to one of them and let them know if you're interested in that. Um, but if y'all would prepare your hearts for the benediction, May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time. And Logan and Christina are in the back. They're in the back of the room. So go talk to them back there.